Welcome to City Church. City Church is a biblically-based, relationally-driven, spirit-led church, encouraging everyone to follow Jesus and serve others. We're excited to share this sermon with you today, and you can always find out more about us online at citychurchseville.com. Well, good morning. We'll try that again. Good morning. This is the beginning of a new sermon series here at City, and we are going to be taking a look at worship over the next several weeks. And um, in the midst of this, this first sermon that I'm going to bring is one that is going to be quite challenging for us as people, as men and women that follow Jesus and worship God. The title of this morning's sermon is this, Worship a Sign, a Sign. Now, I have to confess to you that this sermon has come about very differently. I hadn't planned on this at all, but as I was studying worship in the scriptures, this whole idea just kept burning in my heart, and so we're going to begin here this morning. One of the reasons why I'm excited about this message is, is that I'm becoming a firmer believer more than ever that all of us need to know the stories of the Bible. That there are some who are newer to Jesus. We've got people here at City, those worshiping here in the sanctuary and those with us online who are brand new to faith. Maybe they haven't even taken the leap of faith yet but are kind of looking over the wall at faith. And one of the things, again, that I've become a firmer and firmer believer in is that we would know the major stories of the scriptures. There have been some that are teaching that all you need to know about is Jesus and Although it is so important that we would know Christ, there are events in the Older Testament that if we know them, the person of Jesus is so much fuller and more robust and understandable, and it's so much more worshipful when we know all of those stories that are kind of behind Jesus and support who Christ is. And this morning's sermon is really going to be based around Moses. The idea of worship as a sign It's going to be built around Moses and some of the experiences we see in the Older Testament in the book of Exodus. Shortly, we're going to read some verses from Exodus, but again, what I know is some people do not know the stories of Scripture. And so the Exodus, just you know, the book's Exodus literally means exit or out of. It's the story of the people of God who are in bondage in Egypt, are led by God out of Egypt into the promised land. But if we're going to understand Moses, there's a few things that we need to know as a backstory to him. The first thing we need to know is that Moses, at his birth, along with the Hebrew people, are in bondage to Egypt. Now what's fascinating, though, is they were not conquered by a war. How they ended up there is there was an earlier man of God who was of the Hebrew people, and he had been sold into slavery by his brothers. His name was Joseph. And being sold into slavery, he ends up in Pharaoh's household. A lot of other things happen, but lo and behold, Pharaoh begins to have these troublesome dreams. And in these dreams that are really, really bothering him, it's found out that Joseph, this Hebrew, can interpret dreams. And so Pharaoh, who's also known as king, there's two different names for him in the Older Testament, Pharaoh and king, brings these dreams to to Joseph, and Joseph, this Hebrew, tells him what they mean. And basically what he says is, look, there's a huge famine coming and you need to get ready. Well, interestingly enough, Pharaoh believes this Hebrew by the name of Joseph. 
and he begins to stockpile food and grain. And for years, they're able to kind of get all this stockpile together. And then when the famine hits, what's fascinating is Egypt now dominates the known world and never lifts a sword. Because all of the peoples are now coming to Egypt for grain. And so little by little, Egypt again just begins to dominate the known world. But what's interesting about the Hebrews, though, is because Joseph has so much favor with this Pharaoh, they all move to Egypt. And the scriptures tell us in um, Genesis, in the beginning of Exodus, that the Hebrew children are just multiplying and God's favor is on them. But there's a text that kind of shocks you. And the text, as we look at the life of Moses, is found in Exodus chapter 1, and it's verses 8 and 11. In Exodus chapter 1, verse 8, here's what the text tells us. Then a new king, remember, king is who? He's also the, he's Pharaoh. It says, then a new Pharaoh to whom Joseph meant nothing came to power in Egypt. Uh Uh-oh. And what we find in verses 9 and 10 is that the Hebrew children have multiplied. They're in great numbers now in Egypt. And this new Pharaoh king gets nervous. And so what ends up happening is, verse 11 tells us, so they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. And now steps in in Exodus 2, we discover that there's this male child by the name of Moses. And he's a Hebrew child. His parents look at him and see that he's beautiful. But Pharaoh has decreed that all the male children would be thrown into the river and drowned. But his parents preserve him and they put him in a basket and they put him in the river. Lo and behold, Pharaoh's daughter comes down to bathe and she sees the basket and she takes the child home with her. Well, she's not able to nurse the child so they need a wet nurse. And lo and behold, Moses' mom becomes his wet nurse in Pharaoh's palace, in Pharaoh's home. But as Moses grows up, you can see clearly that he's moving towards the Hebrew faith moving away from what the pharaohs teach and believe. And the scripture tells us that he kills an Egyptian who is pummeling a Hebrew. And he thinks he's gotten away with it, but the next morning when he kind of takes his princely rounds, he finds out that people know he's murdered an Egyptian. Not only this, pharaoh finds out and determines to kill him. So Moses flees to save his life. What the text tells us is that Moses spent 40 years in Pharaoh's palace. And where we're getting ready to read now is another 40 years have passed. And Moses has been living in the backside of nowhere. And now we pick up our reading. Exodus 3, 1 through 12. Let's read the text together. Moses in the burning bush. It says, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness, and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Now, we need to push the pause button. Mount Horeb is the same as Mount Sinai. It's the same mountain. Reading on, it says, Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush, and Moses saw that the bush was on fire, and it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. And when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. 
Don't come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father. I, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And at this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. And then the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt, and I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. Verse 8, so I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, and now the cry of the Israelites have reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. Now, I want you to picture this. Here we have Moses at the burning bush. He's in the backside of nowhere. He's at what's called Mount Horeb. We also know it as Mount Sinai. He's in the backside of the wilderness. Comes to this burning bush, and all of a sudden he figures out this is the God of the Hebrews. And what does the scripture say he does? He hides his... He hides his face. And then God keeps talking. And I can just sense with Moses hiding his face, he's there barefoot, he's hiding his face, and then God begins to say, you know what, Moses, I am now moving to rescue your people. I'm gonna take them out from the bondage of Egypt, and I'm gonna move them into this promised land that flows with milk and honey, and I can just see Moses with his head down going, yes, yes. Yes, till verse 10. And God says, so now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh. What? What? what, what wait, what? God says, yeah, I, I'm going to send you to Pharaoh. I've been hiding from Pharaoh 40 years. Reading on, to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. He had never planned on this, Ever. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be a sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you've brought the people out of Egypt, what do you think it ought to say next? What do you think the text ought to say? I'm with you. And Moses, this is going to be a sign. You know, for me, I would think, well, here's going to be the sign that God has been with me. Moses, here's what's going to happen. Man, we're going to move into the promised land. We're going to dominate armies, and we're going to build an impressive city. That's the sign. Or maybe it is, hey, you know what? I'm going to go with you, and Moses, this will be a sign to you. You'll never lift a finger. Just start marching, and God's going to remove all of those peoples. I can think of so many signs that make logical sense, but what God says next makes no sense at all. What does God say next? He says, when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. The sign is that they will worship God. That's amazing. None of us would ever expect that. But God says to Moses, this will be the sign that I am with you. You 
We'll worship on this mountain. Now, all of you, if you have a Bible, you'll look next to that word you, and there's a footnote, and it says plural. In other words, Moses, it won't just be you the next time. It's going to be all of the, all the Hebrew children are going to be here worshiping with you, and that will be a sign that I have been with you. Now, as you were to think about this, and if you've read the story, you know a whole lot happens <laughs> before Israel, before the Hebrew children end up back at this mountain to worship. There's a whole lot of things that happen. And normally in my sermons, feet to your faith happens at the very end. Well, the rest of this sermon is going to be about feet to your faith. And again, this sermon is going to be challenging, and it's going to be one that I want all of us to truly think about when we think about worship. Because God said, the sign will be that you and all of the people worship on this mountain. This will be the sign. So here we go. In putting feet to your faith, there are five things that I noticed in the book of Exodus, in the book of Numbers, that God taught his people. There's five things. The first one, a people who know God in the midst of suffering. Exodus 2, 24 through 25 tells us that God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant with Abraham and with Isaac and Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and he was concerned for them and then he began to make his move. I want us to be careful. There is a version of Christianity that teaches if you have enough faith, you will never suffer. Let me be clear. That does not bear out at all in the Newer Testament. At all, nor clearly the Older Testament. Instead, what we find is a God that declares that in the midst of your suffering, you will discover me in a very unique way. C.S. Lewis said that God yells in our sufferings and whispers in the good times. There's something about suffering, and what we can clearly see in this text as the children of Israel begin to follow God and they begin to follow Moses is that in the midst of their suffering, they begin to learn that even though I'm suffering, God is still with me. He's still with me. And I believe this is one of the five things that God is building into his people is they follow him from captivity and bondage and slavery to the promised land. Again, the first one, that there would be a people who know God in the midst of suffering. Number two, that there would be a people who believe God is the one who provides. Do we believe that God is the one who provides? Or is it coming from somewhere else? The text tells us in Exodus chapter 16 and verses 2 and following that in the desert the whole community gathered and grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. 
So all of a sudden, God begins to set them free. And as they're moving towards freedom and they're moving towards the promised land, all of a sudden, the people begin to grumble and they say, oh, it had been so much better if we'd have just died in Egypt. Reading on, here's what they say. There, speaking of Egypt, Exodus 16, 2 and following again, it says, there we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. Wrong. It's not even close to what happened. But reading on, all the food we wanted, but you brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. And the people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. And in this way, I will test them and see whether or not they will follow my instructions. And on the sixth day, they are, they are to prepare what they bring in. And that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. And it be because God also knows that some of us are carnivores. He sends quail every evening. Bread in the morning, quail in the evening. But what's fascinating about this is that if you look at the text, God wants them to know that he's the one that provides. And he does it this way. Every morning, the Israelites come out of their tents and there's manna all over. It's bread from heaven, literally. And the scripture tells us on the first day when the bread from heaven comes down, they go around and gather as much as they possibly can. And the text told them, only gather enough for each day because you need to learn to trust me that I'm the God that provides. Well, they begin to hoard it. And the next morning they get up and the whole camp reeks. The manna turned putrid overnight. And Moses gets up and he scolds the people. And he said, I told you, only get enough for each day. But isn't there something in each one of us that wants to hoard and depend on ourselves? And God said, oh, no, 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 no. For you to worship me, you're going to have to learn that I'm the God that provides. So every day, from then on, they would go out. But then there was always a miracle on the sixth day. On the sixth day, because that's the day before the Sabbath, they could go out and gather enough for two days, and God miraculously would keep the manna for the seventh day from rotting. It was a miracle. And each day they would get up on the seventh day, and they'd look at that manna, and it wasn't putrid. There were no worms. And they would remember again, this is a day of rest. We learn to trust God. He's the one who provides. So the second thing, again is that God is looking for a people who truly believe that he provides. The next one. God was looking for a people who would trust God in their battles and their fears. This is a tough one. The text tells us in Numbers chapter 14 that as the people have begun to learn some of these lessons, they're moving towards the promised land. They're right there on the edge of the promised land. And the spies return and bring a report. And in the report, they discover there are giants in the land. And Numbers 14 and following tells us this. That night, all the members of the community raised their voices and they wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron and the whole assembly said to them, if only we had died in Egypt. Here you go again. 
If only we had died in Egypt or in the wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us to the land only to let us fall by the sword? In other words, they had learned to trust God in certain areas, but when it came to the battles and it came to their fears, now they're balking. I got a battle in front of me and I just can't trust God. And they go on to say, wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? There we go again. And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. You see, God is looking for a people who will worship and that worship will be a sign But these people are called to be a people who trust God in their battles and in their fears. And what does God do in response? God looks at Moses and says, Moses, because these people cannot trust me in the midst of this area of their life, they're going to wander the desert for 40 years. Can you see Moses? He's like, oh. I just did that for 40 years. My goodness, the land's right there. You bunch of knuckleheads, let's go. God says, no, not a single person from this generation will enter into the promised land. And so they end up wandering. But please know this. God's intent was to have a people who would come to Mount Sinai and they would worship him. And that worship would be a sign, and the sign would be there's a people that trust him in battle and with their fears. This pandemic has revealed a lot of fears in a lot of us. God wants us to trust him, to truly trust him. And then moving on to the next one. God is looking for a people who will worship God, capital G, over other gods, little g. You know what's very fascinating in the Older Testament? God lists the other gods, but they're little g. God of Israel, the Hebrew God, is the capital G. And God is looking for a people, and as they're moving now throughout the desert, they keep bumping into other gods and other peoples. But in Exodus chapter 32, picking up our reading in verse 4 and following, it tells us this, that the children of Israel have now moved towards the promised land. And Moses is up on Mount Sinai receiving the law. Problem is, he was up there for a while. So now he's up on Mount Horeb, and he's receiving the law of God. And the scripture tells us if we pick it up in verse number four, it says that Aaron, Moses' kind of co-leader, but he was under Moses, said to the people, hey, take off all your jewelry and bring it to me. And so the people do, and in verse four it says, he took what was handed to him and he made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. And then they said, not Aaron, they said, We're not sure who the they is, but it isn't Aaron. They said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. And if you read it properly, you go on and it says this. 
when Aaron saw this. So he hears them saying, this calf is the God that brought you out of Egypt. And in response, here's what Aaron does. It says, when Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. They look at the calf and they go, okay, so that God, that's the one. And Aaron goes, no, 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 no. That's not the one. This calf is to point you to the true God. And so he builds an altar out front. But if you know the text, you know what happens. They don't worship the God of Israel. They begin to worship all the little gods, little G. And they worship the gods from Israel. And then Moses, just to prove a point, when he comes down the mountain, he takes the gold calf and he crushes it up and he uses it like Kool-Aid powder and makes him drink it. But here's the point. In the midst of what God is doing, he wants a people that worship him, God, capital G, over little gods. And here Aaron is, he fashions a calf because that's what they did in Egypt. But in his mind, this calf is going to point people to God, the true God, but it doesn't work that way. And of course, you know, one of the Ten Commandments when Moses comes down is what? Don't make any images. But here's what God is trying to teach his people. That don't worship little gods. Worship me, big God. And here's what I've learned in the pandemic. There have been people who the little G's have become big G's. Things like sports, medicine, education, entertainment. Isn't it interesting in this pandemic, God has used it to quiet some of the little gods. And there are people who've confessed to me that they've struggled. Because I hate to tell you, sports and medicine and education and entertainment can't ever give you what God can. It doesn't work that way. There have been those that have confessed to me, since we haven't had Virginia sports, life isn't worth living. But please understand, God is looking for a people who worship him. And what's amazing is, is if you look at the text, the text tells us, and here's what's stunning, is that the people look at the calf and they say, this calf is the one that delivered us. So there are those who are looking to God's little g, like entertainment or sports or education or medicine, and all of those are good in and of themselves, as long as they are kept in the correct perspective. But the people of Israel look at the calf that Aaron thought would point them to God and now they're making it a God. And then the scripture tells us that they said, this calf is the one that delivered us. The last one is this. God wants a people who know that they've been delivered by him. God is looking for a group of people to worship him And that their worship would be a sign. And this people would know that they've been delivered by God. I don't know if you know this. 
But if you think about Moses and what makes him famous is the Ten Commandments, every single time the Ten Commandments are mentioned in the Older Testament, it begins this way, and I want you to notice. Exodus 20, verses 1 and 2. And God spoke all these words. This is at the beginning of the Ten Commandments. What does God say about himself? I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. In other words, God is the God that delivers us. Remember what God said to Moses. When all is said and done, Moses, what's going to be the sign is that we gather at the mountain and we worship. And I believe with all of my heart, everything that God does in the book of Exodus is to bring his people to a point, and here's repeating the five things. A people who know God in the midst of suffering. A people who believe God is the one who provides. A people who trust God in their battles and fears. A people who worship God over other gods. Capital G, little g. And finally, a people who know they have been delivered. Galatians 1, 3 through 5 as we close. Paul writes, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Stand with me. God says to Moses, this will be a sign. All of God's people along with Moses are going to arrive at the mountain and they're going to worship. They're going to worship. But between that happening and God's promise to Moses, God builds those five things into his people. Let's take a moment and close our eyes in God's presence. And then let's worship the true God. The God of the capital G. The God that can do all the things that at times we look to other things to provide.